The scripture takes place during, during the time of the prophet Elijah. After the death of uh, David and Solomon, the people of Israel just sunk deeper and deeper into sin and began to worship the false god Baal and uh, his consort Asherah. So um, Elijah went and told the king and said, there is not going to be any rain for a few years until it is on my word. And a drought hit the area. Then God said to Elijah, it's time to bring rain. I want you to go to the king. So he did. And he gathered all the people. And this picks up the story in verse 21. Then Elijah stood before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. But the people said nothing. Elijah said, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, and Baal has 450 prophets. Choose for us two bulls. Let the prophet of Baal choose one for themselves, cut it into pieces and put it on wood, but do not set fire to it. I will take the other, put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And the people said, what you say sounds good. So what happens is they build the altar and the false prophets call on their God and nothing happens and Elijah taunts them and nothing happens and then Elijah calls on the name of the Lord and the fire is set. And then Elijah commanded the people saying, do not let the false prophets of Baal get away. He commanded that they be taken into the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Then he said to King Ahab, go and eat and drink for the sound of rain is near. Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed back to the top of Carmel. He put his he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, "Go out and look at the sea." His servant went and looked and said, "There's nothing there." 7 times he sent his servant saying, "Go back." On the 7th time his servant said, "I saw a cloud over the sea about the size of a man's hand it was rising over the sea go said elijah and tell king ahab hitch up your chariot and go before the rain stops you soon the sky grew black with clouds the wind arose and a heavy rain fell down ahab set off for jezreel the power of the lord came upon elijah he tucked his cloak inside his belt and he ran all the way to Jezreel in front of Ahab. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've been in somewhat of a drought ourselves and, and I'm not a meteorologist, so I don't know all the reasons for the drought. I, I suppose it has something to do with La Nina weather pattern. It has something to do with high pressure that blocks our area. I don't really know the reasons, but I guarantee you the people of Israel who had endured a drought for three and a half years knew the reason. King Ahab knew the reason. The reason was Elijah. Elijah had gone to him and said, it will not rain for the next few words unless it rains at my word. And rain had not come. Now, Elijah knew the real reason for the drought. The real reason for the drought was the sinfulness of the people. 
and the scripture had said in Deuteronomy 11, 16, and 17, when you come into the promised land and you serve other gods, God will be angry and he will shut up the heavens and it will not rain. So Elijah knew this was a matter of scripture. He also knew it was a matter of the people serving false gods. They served Baal. Baal was a fertility god, and the people believed that Baal went underground from April until November. And the only way to get him back above ground and get him to reign on the land was to lure him with blood. You motivated him by the blood of children. And so human sacrifices became a part of Baal worship. In the ancient city of Carthage, home of Hannibal, uh, Baal was worshipped, and archaeologists have found there uh, the remains of more than 750,000 babies going six stories deep into the ground. To motivate Baal, they sacrificed their children. To motivate Baal, they went and they visited the temple prostitutes and consorted with them so Baal might get motivated to fertilize the land. A lot had happened in the last few hundred years. When Joshua gathered the people together, he said, Choose this day whom you will serve. And the people said, We'll serve the Lord. And this time, Elijah, a few hundred years later, said, How long will you waver between two opinions? And the people said, Nothing. They had slipped a long way. Ahab knew what was at stake. It was about God's word. It was about worshiping false god. And I mean, Elijah knew what was at stake, and it was about convincing King Ahab to turn from his wicked ways. As we think about Elijah on the Jesus way, there's an awful lot to admire in Elijah. There's, there's so much in, in a few chapters that is particularly outstanding. One of them is in the New Testament. Uh, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? One of the first answers they gave was, you're Elijah. So Elijah must have really been something if Jesus is compared to Elijah. I personally like Elijah because when God gave him the instructions to go find and make a disciple, he went and found a bald guy. His name was Elisha and made him his disciple. And Elisha ended up doing twice as many miracles as Elijah. But for our purposes in the story this, this evening, I think what we see in, uh, in Elijah is a real uh, fearlessness. He went and tore down the altars to Baal and his consort Astarte. He uh, rebuilt the uh, altars to God that had been torn down, even though the king and all the people opposed him. Hundreds of prophets of God had had been killed. Others had been hidden by Obadiah, and he was about the only one in public. But he was fearless, and he was willing to take this stand in public. You had to admire him. And you had to admire his intense, intense passion that he would show God. Let me walk back through real quick the story of what happens in First, um, first Kings 18. Here's what happens. He climbs out uh, Mount um, uh, Carmel, which is a 2,200-foot climb. That's not that bad, but it's all slippery rocks all the way. It, it is a miserable, terrible climb. But he climbed up there, and he didn't even have hiking boots. He gets at the top and he taunts people and says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? And then he goes and slaughters a bull. Now, I'm not in the meatpacking industry, but I assume it takes a little bit of energy and time to do that. Then he builds an altar and then he prays. And then when God answers, he goes all the way back down the the mountain and leads them in, in killing the false prophets. Then he climbs back up the mountain 
and prays for rain. When it starts raining, then he goes back down and runs in front of Elijah's chariot all the way to Jezreel. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but the distance from Mount um, Carmel to Jezreel is 18.6 miles. He's done all this, and he pretty much runs a marathon. That is intense. I remember the first time visiting uh, Mount Carmel in 1999. Our leader had us climb the mountain. That was bad enough. And then he had us climb back down. That wasn't much fun either. And then he said, just so you have a taste of what Elijah had to do, we had to climb it one more time. This was about a six-hour deal. And when I visited there again in 2007, and we were there later in the day, our leader, the same leader, said, we're not going to have time to climb back down and up again. And I said, yes. I don't have that intensity and passion that Elijah had, but he had it in abundance. Ray Vanderland, our leader, said there's one word in Hebrew that describes Elijah better than anything else, and it's the word chutzpah. And we use it differently in our day, but that day it meant intense devotion and commitment. He is willing to risk his very life for God, and he will not compromise his, his belief in God. He has an intense commitment and a deep, deep passion. And for that, we admire him. And when it comes to Ash Wednesday and starting the 40 days of Lent, that's a pretty good time. That's a pretty good time for deep passion. That's a pretty good time to decide how we will demonstrate our commitment and our intense passion for the Lord. And, and I think people begin to realize this and think about this. My, my youngest son last night before we went to bed said, Okay, Dad, here's what I'm doing for Lent. What are you doing? And he understood that. He wanted to demonstrate his passion in some way. And this is a wonderful time to do it. But I would this evening, as we begin this 40-day journey, as we passionately devote ourselves to God, I wanted to give you one caution. You see, the rabbis really debated as to whether God told Elijah the first time, go and tell Ahab it's not going to rain for three years, or whether Elijah, because he knew the Scripture so well, knew that if people didn't worship God, there was going to be a drought. And so he just called God's word on it. We don't know which it was. But in his passion, he went and delivered the message. And the next thing that happened is God sent him far away to the brook Kareth. Now, a lot of scholars believe that Elijah was sent there to keep Ahab from finding him and killing him, and, and maybe so. But what happens there is he goes to this brook and uh, drinks from it for a while until it dries up. There's no food, so he's fed by ravens. And then he has to go and live with the widow. One possibility, say the rabbis, that's going on here is if Elijah decided on his own to punish the people by, for serving other gods, for having a drought, he would need to understand what that punishment looked like and felt like. It was important to God that Elijah realize if he was going to pronounce some word of judgment on the people, he better understand what it looks like in their life. In other words, I believe... God was teaching Elijah, it's one thing to be passionate for me, but your passion for me can never overrule your compassion for others. Whatever passion you have for God, it must be matched in an equal amount of compassion for people, whether they are walking with God or they are serving Baal. 
And Elijah would have to learn this lesson, and he would wander in a widow's home who only had enough food for one meal, and then she was going to die. He would see firsthand what his drought, what God's drought, had brought. The late Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel once said that what marks a prophet in the Bible is they had a deep pathos for people. They had a deep empathy for people. The only reason they told people to clean up their act is because they, God had told them to do it and they hurt for the people and they didn't want the people to suffer and that's why they prophesied for them. In the 20th and 21st century, we've turned prophet into, in the mainline churches, anybody who stands up and protests the war must be a prophet. Anybody who stands up and says, feed the hungry, well, they must be a prophet. And, and Maybe. And then the more charismatic churches say, well, anybody that gets some word from God and, and they give it to somebody else, a word they wouldn't get anywhere else, well, that person must be a prophet. And, and maybe that is so as well. But let us never forget that no matter what we say and no matter what we do, our passion for God must be equal to our compassion for those to whom and with whom we speak. Elijah had to learn you must love God with all your heart soul and your might but you must also love your neighbor as yourself if we do not have passion we'll burn out in the service of god but if we do not have compassion we will burn up other people in the service of god james and john are walking along with jesus one day and they get refused in a town and james and john know their bible they know their text and so they say to jesus do you want us to call down fire and burn them up Because that's been done in the Bible. And Jesus rebukes them and stops them. He must admire how they know the text. He must admire how much they love God. But he must remind them that it's not just love of God. It cannot be separated from love of neighbor. So we start on the journey. And the journey will take us some places and other people won't quite go there on the journey. And maybe they'll give something up for Lent, and maybe they won't. But no matter what, may we, in whatever we give up for God, never give up our caring for others.